writing is all about iteration. At least it is for me. I I write and I rewrite and I rewrite and I rewrite. And so part of my process is writing as fast as I possibly can hmm. in the early stages. Welcome back to Basic Brain Heart, the show where we celebrate and interrogate creatives of all stripes. I'm Hannah Camacho. I have to be honest, I am extra excited about today's episode. It is with the amazing writer, Jared Bush. You may know him from his work on Moana and Zootopia, also perhaps Pen Zero Part-Time Hero. He's got quite a few years in the biz, and I really loved hearing his story. If you are a writer or storyteller, um, really in any line of work, I really believe you're going to get a lot out of the conversation. Before we get started, of course, I have a shameless plug here. If you have enjoyed any of the episodes we have aired so far, I would so appreciate it if you'd take a moment to rate or review the podcast on the App Store. That helps us get noticed by Apple, which of course can help us be featured by Apple, which then of course will help us welcome more brain hearts to the family. All right, enough of that. Let's go ahead and get right on to my conversation with Jared Bush. Jared, I have to tell you, I am unbelievably stoked to talk to you. You are um, someone who's been doing work that I certainly admire, especially recently with Moana and Zootopia, and it seems like things are really taking off for you, so I appreciate your time today. I am happy to be here. I can't wait to talk to you. Super. Well, I have about a million questions, so I hope you're ready. <laughs> Let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, I was doing some digging online, and I always try to do research, of course, when we have uh -oh. guests on the show. I found some things, um, but... I wasn't able to necessarily piece together your background too solidly, but before we kind of go back into your history, um, I'd love to hear about what you're up to today. Uh, well, I, uh, right now I am at Disney animation. I'm working on a new project, um, but all of our future development is super top secret. So of course, I can't talk about it other than say that I'm, I'm <laughs> that extremely excited it. and uh, it's, it's going to be uh, a, another fun one. That's awesome. And how long have you been with Disney? I've been at Disney for about six years. Uh, awesome. When I joined Disney in 2011, uh, I was a, a contract writer. Uh, but two years later, um, uh, I've now joined Disney permanently. So I'm actually a, a Disney employee. Awesome. So from contractor to employee, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and I, and I really am interested to hear kind of how you arrived at that point. So if you don't mind, we can kind of jump into your background um, and talk yeah. about, you know, growing up and what your home environment was like and, and uh, if you had any siblings, the history of you. Here, okay, here we go. Buckle <laughs> up. Um, so I, uh, I grew up on the East Coast, uh, a little town outside of Washington, D.C. in Maryland called Gaithersburg. Oh. Um, and growing up for me, I have a, an older sister and younger brother. And uh, my whole family growing up, um, they were always great storytellers. Uh, I remember my my grandmother especially telling me great stories. My grandfather, my on my mom's side as well, amazing storytellers. And weirdly, I didn't I didn't really watch a lot of television or go sure. to the theater very often as a kid. It was really most of the stories were from from books or just hearing those stories told to me. Hmm. Um, for a couple years, when I was uh, between four and six, we actually lived in Australia where they literally had no no entertainment, and so <laughs> oh again, it was all. It was all, uh, you know, uh, stories that we told each other. But I think the, the most pivotal moment for me 
um, was in 1987, my father bought our family a video camera, one of those giant Ooh. VHS video cameras. And um, <laughs> yes. I loved I loved to make stupid home movies on that. So with my, with my younger brother and our, our really good friends, we'd make these little movies, and that was obviously before the internet and before YouTube. That's so we'd awesome. really just make them for ourselves. But I, I loved it. I loved it so much. I loved telling stories that way. Uh, and everything we did was incredibly derivative. We see a movie and then try to emulate that movie. Uh, but I, I loved it. And so when I went to, um, when I went to college, um, I went to Harvard and they didn't have a, they had a film major, but it was more art film as opposed to narrative film. Huh. Um, so I became an English major, uh, but all of my major papers, my thesis, uh, I would write on films as opposed to novels. Hmm. Um, which most of the professors did not like, but my main professor really encouraged me. He said, if this is what your passion is, follow it. Um, and so that's what I did. Um, and uh, while, while at school, there was a, a club, uh, the, uh, the television film organization, and um, they were trying to uh, reach out to a lot of alumni who'd moved out to Los Angeles and uh, to work in Hollywood. Um, and I got to uh, know a lot of those people. So when I moved out, um, in the late nineties, I guess it was 97. Um, I was lucky enough to, to find people that would try to help me. And my first job in Los Angeles, uh, worked at a talent agency. I didn't want to be an agent. Sure. But everyone said, it's a great education. You're going to read, uh, dozens and dozens of scripts and you're going to, that was before email. So you're going to drive all around <laughs> LA and, and drop off, you know, paperwork and scripts and get to know how the town works. Yeah. Um, I worked there for two months. So I knew that this was not the life I wanted. But luckily, uh, the person that really helped me get the job at the talent agency just started a new production company called Image Movers, which is Robert Zemeckis' production company. And so I was a script reader at the talent agency when I went to work for Zemeckis' company. Uh, I was reading, you know, 40 scripts a week. It was a lot. Wow. Uh, But for me, that was an amazing education because you really get a sense very quickly uh, what works, what doesn't work, yeah. um, totally for me, what, what I was excited by. Um, and then I got to just meet a ton, a ton of writers. My, my wife, then girlfriend said, uh, she said that like one day I came home and I said, well, there's, you know, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but there's these guys that come in, uh, and they're like clowns and they get to wear shorts to work and they're writers. <laughs> I think I want to do that. So yes, comfortable clothes, I think is what drew me into the world of <laughs> writing. Awesome. Uh, and then, Slowly but surely, I started to to uh, to write my own screenplays. Um, and because I'd worked at that talent agency, a friend of mine uh, went up the ranks and became an agent. Uh, but he was on the television side. Mm. He said, "I can't help you with features, but I can if you start writing television. I might be able to get you in the door somewhere." And so I wrote a bunch of TV specs, um, and eventually got hired as a writer's assistant in television. Um, and happened to. Uh, sort of a, a trend in my life is I, I, I've run into really um, great teachers and people that uh, are interested in helping the next generation of people and uh, and and shepherding them. That's awesome. Um, and so uh, I worked in television, uh, and I was lucky enough to be in a couple shows that went for more than one season. And while doing that, I also wrote features at night, mm-hmm. and eventually started doing both of those. Um, for several years until eventually I got to the point where I really loved the, the movies of Pixar and when Disney animation really started to, to come back strong, 
um, in the in the you know uh, I think Tangled was one of the the movies that really caught my eye. Oh all. yeah, um, it was for me tonally like oh this is the type of movie. It's it's a four quadrant movie. There's tons of imagination. Yes, uh, it can appeal to adults, but still. Um, have you know? I grew up on Amblin movies of the '80s, so it had it, they, these movies had that kind of tone and sensibility. And I said, I got to find a way to to get in there. And it's a very um, it's very difficult for an outside writer to get to Disney. What it really comes oh, down yeah. to is a, a director has an idea, and uh, Disney Animation, uh, the development department, which is fantastic, finds a way. It's not just bringing a writer they think is going to do a good job. Mm-hmm. It's bringing a writer they think is going to do a good job that they think will will marry with a director who has an idea uh-huh. and finding that common ground. Um, and so after um, a couple attempts, I came in and met with Byron Howard, director of Bolt and Tangle, oh, and yeah. he was just working on this new, this new animal movie. And I, I, I'm obsessed <laughs> with animals. I have been my whole life. And uh, we hit it off, and that was it. Uh, and uh, I've been That's here ever amazing. since. amazing. So did you, were you um, with Zootopia kind of from the beginning of the concepting piece or did you come in a little late? Where, where did you fall in the storytelling sort very, of aspect? Yeah, so very early um, when, I, when I first came in, um, Byron pitched me uh, the movie and he said, it's this really cool movie. It's all animals and it's a spy movie. And uh, there's this part of the beginning where they're in, this, they're in this animal city, but then they go to this tropical island. And it's this sort of like Bond-esque 60s era spy movie. And I was like, this is awesome. And I love spy movies, love spy movies. And I was yes. like, great. And they're like, you're hired. And I came in and they, and day one, this is a week later, they said, I said, yeah, we had some meetings and it seems like everyone's really excited about the idea of just an animal city. Um, so we're not going to go to another <laughs> island and it's not a spy movie anymore. And I was like, well, what is it? He goes, well, that's what we have to figure out. So um, we got to... Re- really build the story from the ground up. What was great is that Byron uh, already had this notion of, well, let's look at animal movies differently. And, and no one's really, really um, delved into this predator and prey relationship and how yeah. that might, in an evolved animal society, what that translates into. And there's a metaphor for our human world. For me, that was one of the things that, that really drew me in. I, mm. I typically, I get excited about things from a thematic standpoint, from yeah. psychology, from... Uh, the great things of, uh, about working on Disney movies is that it has this really broad reach. And so yeah. we really asked ourselves, well, okay, it's, if you know, 100 million people are going to see this, then you have an opportunity to say something. What do you want to say? This is an important uh, opportunity. Uh, and so to me, talking about um, all of the differences we have in, in our lives and, mm. and how can we improve on those felt like an unbelievable opportunity. That's really interesting. It sounds like the Disney approach is, you know, somewhat similar to the Pixar approach we've been hearing about a lot lately, which is fail fast and see what works and see what people are responding to and run with that. And it sounded like people were responding to that animal city. I'm curious what your approach is to building that story, because you had a really broad concept to work with. But then how do you start to how do you personally start to build that out? Um, One of the great benefits of being here is research is so important. Um, John Lasseter, mm-hmm. who runs both Disney Animation and yes. Pixar, uh, research. He, he loves research, um, and and he finds you know the authenticity that we find through research. Um, it, you you can't you can't make some of it up. Sometimes you have to go and and, and do the work. Yeah. And it's not just researching animals for Zootopia. Before we even really started working on on too too much of the story, 
um, and even what I'm doing right now, um, it's uh, you spend a lot of time, um, like for Zootopia, we, we talk to animal experts, of course, but then we also talk to historians. We talk to psychologists. We talk to um, experts that, mm. that talk to us about, okay, what kind of food? Like when we said, okay, well, animals don't eat each other. When, when would they have made that decision, and how could an animal that, that really only eats meat survive? Well, then we had sure. to talk to nutritionists. We had to look at uh, human development and say, okay, for humans, when did we stop doing that? We used to be a little bit more cannibal yeah. a long time ago. People <laughs> don't really think about it. But, you know, 50,000 years ago, the rules were a little different. But when they figured out how to, how to uh, make grains and how to um, uh, find plants that have more protein, um, and then when religion came into it and, and morals became more of a part of the human existence, that's, those were important moments in time. So mm. to research that was really important. Um, I think that for me, my approach typically for Zootopia, we had to build a world. And um, I think the people that do that best don't just build a world that, that is a world that happened today. They think about yeah. how did that world get there. And so for Zootopia, we literally started with, with, with the beginning of time That's awesome. um, and, and thought, okay, well, we don't want to have people in this movie. There's no humans. Why would that not have happened? Well, then mm-hmm. primates probably never happened. What would the world look like then? How would the civilization have been built up? What, what did feudal society look like? Um, and we, we went through, you know, uh, thousands of years of evolution and um, societal interactions to figure out how, this one city may have been created. Um, and so, and then looking at architecture, and then we looked at, okay, well, we have animal scale. At what point would the technology exist to even have a city that could accommodate an, uh, an elephant and a mouse? Wow. Um, so <laughs> we, we spend a lot of time. Yes. And, and the other thing we do is we, we bring in people that are experts on very specific things to, to help inform us. And, and we, it's not just, um, you know, writers, directors that are in these meetings, we mm. have our artists will come in. And so we, we try to, to, to build from a, a pretty massive knowledge base, but also have things feel real. One of the early, one of the early important tenets was we don't want to make a facsimile of a facsimile. We don't want to, I think so often, and certainly in my own writing early on, you'd say, okay, I want to do a spy movie. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch a bunch of spy movies and make a new spy movie as opposed to well maybe I should go talk to a spy maybe I'll get something that's <laughs> yeah. more authentic more interesting or or something that you wouldn't expect and I think that throughout the process here we kept on finding things we didn't expect when we heard the 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 stat that in the animal world it's 90% prey animals and 10% predators as soon as we heard that wow. breakdown and that clear majority and minority and that's that's the the true ratio in nature that told us, okay, well, you know, that it, to us, as soon as we heard that stat, that was it. We go, okay, well, we know what this movie is really about. <laughs> That's amazing. That's really interesting. Did you find anything that we've have had some writers on and have talked to them about the importance of personally having, you know, a connection to the story, something that really resonates with them personally to keep them engaged and interested. Was there something that you found uh, particular about the story or the subject matter that really resonated with you or spoke to you oh, as yeah. you were writing it? Yeah, I, I think that that, I think there's honestly nothing more important for a writer than having an emotional connection to what you're writing about, mm. because I think that's the difference between telling a story and telling something that there's, um, there's an emotion that you put into something. If, if, if it feels like you're telling 
a piece of uh, telling a story that has a piece of yourself in it. Um, I, I always, in any project I'm working on, I always, that's the first thing I try to find is, okay, well, with this one, what, what is my entry point? Mm-hmm. So for Zootopia, um, you know, it was 2011 when I started working on it and looking at our world and seeing how fractured everything was. And at the time, mm-hmm. um, my, uh, I have three boys, uh, my youngest who are twins, they had just been born and thinking of them coming into this world that felt so fractured. And felt like, well, how do we, how do, how, how could we ever solve this? Yeah. You know, the, the idea, uh, and it's not like Zootopia, obviously, there's a metaphor for race if you want it, but it's not just that. Sure. It's, it's, it's ethnicity, it's socioeconomics, it's mm. gender, it's, it's many things. Um, and we wanted to keep it that way. But looking at how, how fractured our, our society is and, and how uh, polarized, it feels like that can be paralyzing. Yeah. And so for me, it was really um, the way I saw it was, okay, what, what do I want to say to my children that will help them mm-hmm. understand to give them, to give them hope, but also a realistic view of what's possible. Um, to me, it was really a love letter to my kids to, to help them mm-hmm. understand how that works. And also for me personally to say, okay, well, I think I'm a, a fairly, evolved person. And I think that I, I know myself and I think that I know, um, you know, how I react to other people. But one of the big parts of the movie that sort of the, the most, I think the biggest discovery is when Judy Hopps, the main character, realizes that she has all this unconscious bias within herself. And, and even though she's been pushing against the system that's been keeping her down, she's part of that problem. And so yeah. for me, that was another big part of it, which is, of course, I'm part of the problem. We all yeah. are a part of the problem. But if we just if we can just acknowledge that, then just that acknowledgement and that that ability to be to to, to really look at ourselves is going to be vital to ever mm-hmm. making any difference. That's what we hope. That's really powerful, and that I think I'm going to see the movie in a whole new way. <laughs> Not that that message wasn't already coming through, but that's really interesting. Um, I'm curious: Have you ever worked with directly with John Lasseter, and what do you feel it is that he? preaches for lack of a better term that really helps the movies and stories that he's associated with with and helps to guide be so effective well i mean yeah we we work together i mean he's very hands-on here so all of the projects here we we spend a lot of time yeah. with each other so i think that um you not know not that it's a one-man it a, show but of course you know there's obviously no, something well, and, he, he's doing right <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, um, he's, he's a modern-day Walt Disney, and I think that, that one of the uh, – he has many things that are uh, traits that I think are, from a storytelling standpoint, you go, oh, my God, like, he, he's very special. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that, that I admire the most is that more than anyone I've met in Hollywood, he can put himself into, into the mindset of the audience watching this movie. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that it's very easy to, to, become, to become jaded if you work in Hollywood or to, or to, to start to kind of go off track or, or to be a little full of yourself in terms of storytelling or, or you, you start being kind of, uh, you start being cute or too meta and he is able to say, well, he's, his brain can kind of, uh, interpret what an an audience will want in a way that is very sincere and genuine. Mm. Uh, and, and it comes from a place of, he really loves to be moved and entertained by stories and movies. And he mm-hmm. has a unbelievable knack for 
for knowing what that will be. And so as a, as a barometer for, okay, um, yes, this is, uh, I like this story, but is this story really going to speak to people in the right way? Or mm. I understand what you want to do with this movie, but is, is this manner of execution doing what that is? Is it the most entertaining or is it the most emotional or is it the most uh, insightful? And I think that his mm. somehow his superpower is, is knowing and keeping us on a trail to, to find the, the most, uh, the, the best version of all of those mm. things. Wow, that's incredible. Um, this brings me to a slightly unrelated question, <laughs> which is, I heard yeah. you mention a little a little bit ago that you felt very attracted to features as opposed to TV. Now that you're not that you didn't want to work in TV, but what is it about feature storytelling that really appeals to you and you prefer? I think it was I, honestly I, I I like both very much. I think that mm-hmm. in recent years, uh, as as television has become a, a bit more serialized and has turned a bit more to, to character stories and, mm. and spending a lot of time arcing out characters. I think specifically TV dramas have been doing such a good job with that. Um, that that's a little different than it was 20 years ago when sure. I was first starting out. Um, but I think for me, I love the, I love the scope of features and that probably mm. has to do with when I was little, like I said, I didn't watch a lot of TV. The big sure. moments for me were going to a movie theater with hundreds of people and sitting down and having this shared experience and feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm being entertained in a way that, that feels larger than life. And there's something I think that, that got stuck in my brain where that's, that's the feeling that I wanted. And so to, to be on the opposite side of that, where, where hopefully we can deliver those type of feelings was something that I really liked. Um, I, I loved the, the ability, I think world building is something that, uh, uh, God, uh, that's probably my one of my favorite things about working here is to have the opportunity to literally create mm-hmm. a universe. Is it's every kid's dream? That's it's awesome. every and anyone that loves fantasy like uh, to do that and to be able to work with people here that um, that are so great at it and can can execute things that you could never imagine mm-hmm. possible. Um, that to me feels more like the feature world. Now that said there's something great about television. And until I worked here, I didn't know I was going to ever get it back, which is the, the, the amazing amount of collaboration that happens mm-hmm. in television. I was in sitcoms. And so to sit around a room with 10 or 12 other writers and work on a story together where it's constant feedback and constant iteration. And there's this really fluid evolution that happened. Um, I love that. And as a feature writer, it can be very solitary, except sure. I didn't realize I got here in animation where it is, even more collaborative than television because wow. you're not just talking to other storytellers, you're talking to other artists and, and you're all working together. So oddly for me, I didn't know this was going to be my home, but as soon as sure. I got here, I realized oh, it's everything I love. It's this unbelievable, immersive world building, deep character, emotion, four quadrant kind of putting something out into the world. That's going to be um, a huge piece of, of uh, it's going to be a spectacle. Um, but then you have this, this this um, this unbelievable collaboration where mm. where you're working on something with other people who challenge you and these are I think we're all friends here so we can give each other pretty pretty brutal honest notes that I, sure. uh, I think is crucial to coming up with a good story so um, I guess for me yeah it's it's uh, um, I, I, the I love them both which is why it's it's kind of crazy and, and perfect <laughs> that I wound up here because I kind of get both. 
That's awesome. What was it like since since the theater experience when you were growing up was so pivotal and meant so much? What was it like to take your kids to the premiere of Zootopia and Moana and share the work you'd been doing with them? Was that really special for you? Yeah, it, uh, I mean, it's there's there's really no no feeling. I mean, I, it's hard to even explain what that felt like um you know um i will say that that um for the zootopia premiere i I got to bring my kids i also got to bring my parents so there was this really kind of for me it was both of those things um uh, that was a a really um that's something i'll never forget that said um i'm also crapping myself because i want them to like it you know i don't i don't want them i don't want to make them like it i don't want them to tell me we liked it because they think that i want that yes but i i just hope to like you know, it's it's five years of work, and there's a lot of sacrifices. Yes. Like for Zootopia, I was I worked on many weekends, and I would work very late at night and leave early in the morning. And so you kind of also want to say, hey, this. You know, uh, it's hard to say that to a seven-year-old, but you know, yeah. um, this is this is what I've been doing. This is what I've been working so hard. So I, I hope that I hope that you're proud of this. And then for my parents who had to sacrifice a lot to to, uh, you know, give me a great life and, and support an education. And they were always incredibly supportive of, of me coming to Los Angeles to, to pursue this. Um, that was also important for me that, that they saw that. And, and I also hope like, okay, well, hopefully, hopefully they're proud of that because I, uh, I wouldn't be here if they hadn't made those choices. And I, and I wanted them yeah. to, 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 to feel that and see that, okay, well, this is, this is what all those choices led to. Wow. Um, now on the flip side, <laughs> the pressure from Moana, right. <laughs> What's that? I said the pressure's on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For for Moana, I will say this. Um, I for that one, I actually brought um, for, I brought my brother uh, and my sister in law, and not my kids to that one. And my kids were very <laughs> upset that they did not get to walk the red carpet because they thought that well, from now on, that's what we get to do. And they felt like they had been shafted. Um, so oh, I'm have to no. that oh goodness, that's awesome. Um, speaking of Moana, you kind of came on to that one. I, from what I think I read, not at the beginning, yep. it was a little bit later. Um, how yep. did that impact your approach to the storytelling piece? Um, what was that like to yep. come in a little bit later? Yeah, well, I came into, uh, Moana about a year and a half before it went to theaters. Okay. Um, and, uh, at Disney, typically our movies take about, four to five, yeah. six years to develop and then ultimately yeah. get them to the screen. Yeah. So um, Moana and Zootopia were actually pretty much uh, happening at the same time, meaning that early development was happening on Zootopia sure. at the same time early development was happening on Moana. So what's great about um, working here is that we are always aware of all the other projects. Directors talk to each other. They present where they're at. So um, so I was lucky enough on the early side of Moana to hear, oh, here's here's where our script is now, here's where our outline, here's what mm. we're thinking, here's what we here's what we want to say with this movie, um, and so that was always really exciting to me. Also, uh, I love musicals. I, I grew up in college. I was a music minor, um, and um, so uh, I always loved musicals. And knowing what Ron and John were up to, their their movies really were the soundtrack of my legends, early childhood. Yeah. Yeah, so I was always aware of that. Um, so uh, my involvement in Moana happened. We were uh, wrapping up on Zootopia and um, on Moana. What typically happens at Disney is is we have these um, we have this ability to 
to screen movies, to rethink them, and to say, okay, well, uh, here's what's working, what's not. Like on Zootopia, um, a year before the movie came out, we made a change where, where Nick the Fox used to be the main character, and we switched it to Judy Hopps as the main character. That's wow. a year out, right? So that required a lot Holy of shifting. Holy smokes. Um, Moana, um, one, it wasn't as big of a shift, but there was a, a push into thinking about Moana as a, a bit more of a hero's journey story. Uh, and around that same time, uh, was when um, was when Dwayne Johnson was cast as Maui, and um, for me personally, I really love I really love writing dialogue. I, I like writing two strong characters, and I like that push and pull. And uh, because I'd just gone through that on Zootopia, um, when they were trying to think, okay, well, uh, we have Dwayne, and we're pushing a little bit more of a hero's journey with Moana. That changes basically the story where we know that she's going to be really by herself with the Maui character for, for a long period of time. So it's just going to be two people going back and forth. <laughs> yes. um, that, that was, that was, you know, for me, that's a, that's my happy place. Like that's, that's a, a, an area that I really like. That's and so awesome. I was very, they asked if, if I would um, be able to help them out. And of course, like that to me, that's a dream come true. So a hundred percent. Yes. Um, and so I was really lucky on that to, to come on a time where, where really, thinking about the character dynamic between Moana and Maui and finding ways to, and in Zootopia, you have an entire city with a hundred thousand animals and there's sight gags everywhere. <laughs> if you want to, on Moana, it's two characters on a boat in the ocean. In the, in the middle of the ocean. Yes. So it really comes down to what's the chemistry between these characters. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of my, my job and what was, what, what took a lot of time was looking at that, that chemistry and finding ways to keep it evolving um, mm. and finding ways where you have Dwayne Johnson, who is basically a demigod in real life. He is, <laughs> yes. he's not the main character. Moana is the main character. Mm. So how do we make sure that she stays um, the hero of this story that she can hold her own? Yeah. Um, a 16 year old going to toe to toe with the demigod. Um, and that became a really fun challenge. That kind of brings me into my next line of questioning, which uh, is, is what are the mechanics of group storytelling versus solo storytelling? And you've covered that a little bit, but what's really yeah. great about writing collaboratively and what's really tricky about writing collaboratively as opposed to really you being a solo writer in your own silo, if you will. Um, I'd love to hear yeah. your thoughts on that. Um, it, it all comes down to personal preference. Honestly, mm. some people... Some people, they love that, and some people, they don't. Uh, but there's certainly feature writers that would prefer to to do that, to, to stay in a cave and, and to work everything out on their own. And, and I know a lot of brilliant writers that are fantastic at that. I think that my strong suit is hearing other opinions and finding a way to, to funnel that into story and character. Um, I think that in far, as far as group dynamics, the most important thing um, is trust. Uh, we yeah. spend a lot of the time with each other in rooms and we don't spend our time talking story. What we spend our time doing is telling, um, telling things that are uh, talking about things that have happened to us, uh, things that can be very emotional. Mm -hmm. There's uh, so many meetings where someone will wind up telling a story and crying because it's that emotional wow. and because they're getting something out that's deeply personal. Yeah. You cannot do that if you don't have trust that we can all listen to each other. That, that it's, a, it's a room where no one is, is making judgments, um, where we're really trying to understand different people's um, lives because 
uh, in our movies, we try to appeal to so many people, but part of that appeal is that it's, there's an authenticity to it. And I think people know when something doesn't feel honest, when it feels Absolutely. like, oh, this is a movie, this is a movie moment. This is not a, a real human moment. But, um, but you kind of need a lot of voices um, sharing those human moments to find those things in a movie. So sure. what I love about collaboration here is that um, we come at it from a place of trying to, to understand other people's experiences. So I'd say for me, w what I'd like is that, um, you know, uh, I have blind spots. I think we all have blind spots, but I, I know mm -hmm. I have blind spots. So what collaboration for me allows me to do is, okay, I know I have blind spots. Help me, help me, um, mm -hmm. fill those blind spots. Tell me, tell me what I don't know. Um, help me, um, uh, instead of having uh, characters that are always the same, because that's my experience, um, let's share our stories and, and maybe uh, we'll find characters that are, that are not part of me. They're part of somebody else. But sure. as a writer, I can, I can understand that and I can, I can translate that. Um, so I really like, for me, it's, it's, it's knowing where, what you're, what you're not good at and, and surrounding sure. yourself with really smart, intuitive, emotional people that can can help fill those in and are and are working with you to build something um that i think is is bigger than one person yeah and you obviously work with a lot of really incredible really industry leading writers is there something are they all just incredibly different from each other or is there a, a common maybe trait or habit or personality piece that you see amongst them or is it just kind of a hodgepodge of awesome people um, yeah, it's funny. When I first got here, the, the, the biggest trait, honestly, in animation is everyone is nice. And when I first got here after <laughs> working in, in, you know, live action Hollywood and certainly working in television, um, uh, I was astounded by the niceness. I think it, I actually at one point, um, everyone was so nice that I had a meeting where, um, a, a lunch where we had a nice off between two directors <laughs> that were supposed to be the nicest to see who could take the cake for being even nicer than the other. And it was the winner won by showing up with balloons. Uh, that was how that, that happened. So I'd say that, that there's oh, a, a, so a sincerity to people here that mm. is genuine. It's not, it's not an act. It's not put on. Uh, there's there's people that, that genuinely care about each other. Mm. And I think most importantly, want everyone to succeed. And what that allows us to do is, um, if you're working on a, uh, on your own movie, you're getting a lot of support from people that are working on their movies and then mm. in kind, you will go to them and when they need help, you will give your, um, you will give your advice or here, think about this. Sure. And as opposed to the typical studio structure where you would never have directors from multiple movies help each other out yeah. because you're vying for release dates and I want my movie to be better than your movie. And I think that that's really um, John Lasseter and Cattle bringing that down from Pixar saying, well, we're all working on something together. The we're, we're working because as a studio, if we make the studio healthy, that allows us to tell interesting stories, to take risks, to challenge ourselves. And if, if we can think about all of us here as a giant family, as opposed to I'm just working on my one thing, um, that, that gives you, I think, uh, a much more healthy environment where where we truly are working together to, to make something special and to, uh, 
uh, I think, to carry on like a, a legacy um, that is pretty rare uh, in Hollywood. That's really that's really incredible, and I think it feels like that's feeding up into the larger themes that we're seeing that are more sensitive to representation and diversity. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Zootopia and Moana both having female leads. What's it like to write for a character that's a gender other than yourself, and how do you approach that? Um, well, it's interesting. Um, I actually get asked that question a lot. Oh, I, really? I've always... <laughs> Yeah, I've always enjoyed writing um, female characters. I I, I don't I that's don't know awesome. why. Um, I I've, that's I've always been I've always been drawn to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's a combination of of having um, being surrounded by strong women in my family. My my grandmothers, uh, my mother, my sister, uh, my niece. Um, I'm I, awesome. I have people around me, and my wife, of course, like. I have people that are uh, women specifically that are, that I I feel really shaped my life and um, are, are, all of them are very different um, and have unique superpowers and so I think early on I mean I, certainly for Moana oddly um, uh, I tried to as much as possible not focus on gender as being that's, the that's defining yeah. a, a defining characteristic of the character so uh, Moana like anytime. I would try to think like, okay, well, she's a hero. She's the hero of the story. I, I need to think about her purely as being yes. the hero. And gender doesn't necessarily play into it. There, there are ways that you, if you want to have gender play into it, you can. But I try to not have that be a factor because I think, yes, even discussing it means that it's a factor as opposed <laughs> right, to just yeah. living life. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think for. For Judy Hopps, um, you know, I think that that was just, we knew that she was going to be a, a very tough, driven character mm. um, who had been overlooked, but we, we wanted the reason she was being overlooked to, to focus on the fact that she was Small. a bunny, that it wasn't, yeah. yeah, that it wasn't, it wasn't female driven. There's other police officers that we specifically put in the movie that were female so that mm. we wouldn't, we didn't want people to think, oh, this is a comment on. On, Gender, uh, on, yeah. on women specifically. Now, that said, you know, people have read into it what they like, which is yeah. great. That's part of filmmaking is that, okay, well, in this movie, I'm seeing, I'm making this analogy great. You know, we wanted, we wanted people to, with Zootopia, to be able to put a, any group into that that they wanted, that yeah. they would feel like their story. That we, and we spent a lot of time making pretty much all of the issues animal specific issues so that you could say okay well i'm looking at a wildebeest right and i know how wildebeest are treated but i can see how you could say that that's really a a uh, a metaphor for this group sure great if you want to make that (laughs) that group your own yes um but projecting meaning into it yeah yeah exactly and that's that's kind of what we we hoped for we didn't want it to be so so black and white um but back to the question of of writing strong female characters. Um, I, I feel like uh, certainly um, uh, that's something that Disney is aware of is, is oh, sure. trying to find a way to evolve what a, a Disney heroine can be. Mm. Um, Which even I think is beautiful from... and they're doing it right. And I certainly, yeah. <laughs> I don't mean that question the way it probably came across because I think oh, no, that no, no, not at all. both of those characters, you don't even notice it's, it's, I think sometimes some movies will, place a female in the lead and they're constantly calling yeah. attention to it especially in the character development yeah. which then that just makes it stick out like a sore thumb but both 
Moana and Judy Hopps were written, you can tell from that place of character and balance. Um, and I think that's why they're so, their stories are so meaningful because it's not about, yep. you know, their gender. It's about who they are and their struggle. Yeah. That's fascinating. For sure. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. Um, what's something you believe that people might be surprised to know about you? Oh, wow. <laughs> a little bit Man. of off kilter question there. <laughs> So many things. Um, uh, probably um, uh, when I was in college, um, I um, had an internship at the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, really? and spent a lot of time there. Um, and at one point, wondered whether that was going to be my career. I have a, wow. a family history, um, uh, uh, and a lot of folks in my family have, have worked there in the past. And so for wow. me, that was... Um, a really exciting, uh, interesting place to work. Um, uh, uh, the most, the most interesting and the, the, my favorite part was that, uh, uh, when I would go to work in the morning, my dad and I would commute together. And since I had a secret level clearance, he can, he and I could actually talk about work. I, I didn't realize oh, that, so cool. that uh, up until that point, like I, I never got to go into his office really because it's classified. Um, but when we worked together, I could actually, uh, hear his stories oh, a little wow. bit more. Um, <laughs> yeah, which I, which I, we were fascinating. That said on my last day of work, when we were driving home. I asked how his day was and he said, Oh, I can't tell you anymore because you don't have clearance. And I went, ha ha ha. He Dang went, no, I'm serious. And I went, Oh, well, all right. Very good. Well, um, yeah, that's that a was a fascinating place to work. Though. That's really interesting. What actually made you change course? Just kind of getting to know yourself better and learning what made you really happy and storytelling was it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, gosh, I can't really, I can't, uh, to, to answer that, I would have to say things that I can't say. Sure. sure. Um, but okay. I, it that's was fair. like, um, <laughs> it, it was, it was, it, it was an interesting world and an interesting life, but sure. it didn't, uh, the sort of, uh, as I think as a creative person, as, as yeah. any creative person in the industry, like, you know, like if you're drawn to create, um, you you kind of have to. You, you have to find that, and, and and that's a different a different kind of life. Absolutely. Um, going back to uh, a comment that you made a little bit ago about reading so many scripts per week, I think you said you're reading up to forty scripts per week, which is insanity. Um, what's the yeah. biggest mistake you see writers making on a consistent basis, or what separates? a bad story from a good story or a great story? I, I think the, well, the biggest mistake is when, when someone's not writing because it's something they want to write about. It's something they're writing something that they think someone else will like. Mm. Uh, and what, what I mean by that is you can always tell when someone says, well, this, here's a, a, a hot idea right now, or here's a, a, a topic that people mm. really like, or here's a genre that, that people are being drawn to right now. I'm going to do a version of that. Um, as opposed to here's something that I care deeply about that I feel emotionally connected to that I want to say something with. Um, and by the way, you can take, if, if there's a hot genre, awesome, but if you can't put yourself into it, yeah. uh, then, then I think as a reader of those scripts, you, you know, immediately, you know, you go, okay, well, this, there's, there, this is sure. not someone being themselves. This is putting something on. Um, uh, secondarily, I'd say um, characters that don't feel real, um, or don't feel like uh, true, that aren't authentic, um, 
you could sniff that out very quickly. Uh, I mean, that's, there's that old saying, you know, you can, you know, if a script's good or bad within the first five pages, it's completely true. <laughs> I would know going in, okay, this is someone who is trying to help me understand the world or is introducing me to very interesting characters mm. and uh, has an approach that, that has confidence behind it. You, you would know that immediately. Um, mm. And, uh, and so very quickly you'd know whether, okay, I'm going to be, uh, this is for me or this is not for me. It, it, it yeah. was immediate. Along those lines, as you have been a writer yourself, obviously, and you read a lot of other people's work, what do you feel is the secret to writing good dialogue that doesn't sound over-engineered? Um, sometimes that'll really, you know, there are certain shows that maybe TV shows where there's, you know, long running story arcs where I'll constantly be jolted out of the story because I feel like the dialogue is just over engineered and overthought and doesn't come off as natural, but at the same time, you don't want it to be dull and shallow. What do you personally, what's your litmus test for that? Um, well, I'd like to, I like to really understand a character before I start to write them. Uh, meaning mm-hmm. uh, I, I have to think about the history of that character, what has led them to the moment that we meet them in a script. So mm-hmm. it's not just, I'm not just who I am because I'm going to be funny today. It's because five years ago this happened or because I have this sibling or this uncle took care of me or mm-hmm. I grew up in this part of this town. And so I really think a lot about character psychology because I think mm-hmm. that tells you how people speak. Um, I, 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 spend a lot of time making uh, dialogue sound as natural as possible because I think, like you just said, I, you can tell when it just feels like it's a writer who's being clever uh, and it doesn't <laughs> yes. feel like two people speaking. And so um, so much of my life is just listening to people. Uh, and that doesn't mean like it, it's certainly work, but no matter where I go, I listen to the way people speak to each other Um I think that people a lot of the times talk in ways that aren't linear. And so I try to, as much as I can, do that in in scripts because people don't answer questions directly all the time. Sometimes they they go around the bin or sometimes they'll give you, you know, 20% of an answer and then they get sidetracked and talk about something different for 40% and then they come back to the original thing. So I try to think about that a lot, that, Mm. that being, it's almost, you'd almost say like, well, being indirect and kind of, not straightforward. Doesn't feel like good writing, but and weirdly, that's how people typically talk. Absolutely, and they it's believable. Cut themselves off in, yeah, they they stop talking in the middle of a sentence. They'll just stop saying what their thought is and go to something <laughs> different, or they speak in run-on sentences, or they, or they won't complete thoughts. And and <laughs> yes. so I try to to build that into characters. Now at the same time, other characters will, if that's the way they were raised, if that's the way. Um, that they grew up, that's their psychology. Sometimes some people only speak when they know exactly where they're going to start and where they're mm. going to end. And they're succinct and they really think through it before they start talking. And so having characters like that is great. I think for me, I always try to look for where's the contrast. You know, I think Moana and Maui, they have very different ways of speaking to each other. Mm. Um, and they also evolve the way that they speak to each other as they, they get to know one another. So I think secondarily, you want to look at, at dialogue as, okay, well, how long have the people that are speaking to each other known each other? And mm-hmm. that really also determines how, how formal or informal or how natural 
um, that they're going to come across. Can you tell me about maybe a time where you were stuck or you failed? Because that's always nice for people to hear <laughs> if they're trying to make it out there. Um, and how that failure or difficulty um, has been valuable to your journey. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone, everyone in Hollywood, it's, <laughs> it's a story of yes. a thousand failures. Uh, um, I fail here every day. That's part of my job. Um, I think that um, speaking about the work that I'm doing right now, you said earlier on, one of the tenets here is we try to fail as fast as possible. And what that means is so much of, of figuring out stories is it's not necessarily figuring out the right answer, but, but crossing off all the wrong answers. Mm. Um, and so and how do you know what, what, do, what the wrong answers yeah. are? That's something that, that I'd love to hear more about too. Like, how do you know when it's wrong? Well, sometimes it takes a whole lot of work uh, in finishing something. Like so sometimes um, at, at Disney specifically, um, we, over the course of those four to five years, um, will uh, have an entire script. That entire script will be drawn. That mm -hmm. will then be edited. We will then put voices to it and music, and we'll screen it for 400 people and watch it, even though we're watching black and white um, animatics, which is an animatic is, is basically, um, it, there's not animation. It's, it's, it's static drawings that maybe oh. they change every second. Like or a storyboard kind of a thing. Exactly. But they're all edited together. So if you were to close your eyes, it would actually sound like a, a, a movie that's hmm. completely done. If you look at it, you're seeing black and white still images bouncing sure. back and forth. But after you see one of those screenings, it feels like a movie. You can, you can kind of yeah. extrapolate. Um, sometimes you spend months and months and months and, and – Dozens of people work their asses off and you put a screen together and you watch it and you go, wow, that just, that just really didn't work at all. Hmm. Like either, either like emotionally, it doesn't feel emotional to me at all. Hmm. Um, I think a, an example of that in, in Moana is when, um, when Moana's grandmother reappears to her at the end of the second hmm. act, yeah. um, it should be a very emotional moment, and, and what Milana learns should be very emotional. Um, for whatever reason, there were times where you'd watch it and you'd go like, I know you want this to be emotional. It doesn't feel emotional. Hmm. Why is that? Why, why, is this, why does it feel like I'm watching filmmakers try to, to puppet me into feeling emotional yeah. as opposed to it just feeling natural? And what you realize is, well, okay, What's not working? Well, the, the relationship between Moana and her grandmother doesn't feel authentic enough yet. Early on, 45 minutes ago, we didn't do something right. Hmm. And so let's think about what we're building there. Um, and so, you know, there's been times, certainly for me, where I'll go into a screening. Early on in Zootopia, I was, I was the king of this, which is anytime I go and go and, ah, yeah, you know what? I think this screening is going to be awesome. I think people are going to love it. 100% of the time that I went confident to a screening, it did not go well. Oh, People no. hated it. They said, this is garbage. And I was like, but what? No, but that should, it should work. But I'd watch it and I'd go, yeah, it, all right, it didn't work. Oh, and then no. I think also 100% of the time I said, this is going to go down in flames and everyone's going to hate it. People say, I really like this. And you're like, what is happening? <laughs> so I, I, I realized that, that you, you have to work your ass off. You have to believe, I think, every time you, you work on anything, you have to believe that it's going to work and it's just going to have to succeed because if you've done your job, you poured, you poured your heart into something and, sure. uh, and you want that to come across correctly. 
Um, wow. Sometimes it doesn't. It just doesn't work out. I think that there's been many projects that I've worked on where you work really, really hard, and at the end of the day, um, if it doesn't work, I think the most important lesson is to accept things that don't work and then try to understand why they don't mm. work. And sometimes the answer is very simple and it's a very quick fix. Um, in Zootopia, um, there was a scene where the first time that Judy meets Nick, um, he really, uh, really crushes her and tells her she's never going to be a real cop. Mm. Uh, originally, she went back home and she, she called her parents on the phone and they, they told her, they gave her this encouraging speech where they said, look, you're, no bunny's ever done what you're trying to do right now. And just keep trying hard. You're going you're gonna to find a way to do it. Hmm. And it felt really nice. It was, it was emotional. Um, but then the second act always felt kind of slow. And it didn't feel like there was any rocket into the second act. And, and we, we tried so many different ways to make the beginning of the second act exciting. And it just didn't work. And we realized... It was actually that scene. It was a it was a perfectly good scene. It was emotional. It's on the DVD extras, um, but it just didn't do what we needed to do. What we needed was for the parents to be antagonistic. That they actually oh. instead of telling her do a good job, we believe in you. They said, well, maybe, you know, you know, I think it's great that you're gonna you're gonna be a meter maid. That's awesome because then you'll be safe forever, and we don't want you to try to be a cop. It, it became a challenge, wow. and now oh, I have a challenge. I got beat down and now my parents are challenging me. Well, you know, I'm going to prove you guys wrong. I'm going to go do this. Then it was motivated <laughs> from the character and the character brought the audience along because as an audience, you were going like, well, yeah, this is not fair. She's capable. I, w- I would be capable. Let me go prove myself. And then all of a sudden we had this engine that we hadn't had before, but it took a long time to, to realize that that's where the problems lie. That's a brilliant engine because I mean, it's kind of true to life. A lot of folks have experienced that in their own life where their parents want them to have a safe career and don't take any risks. And that's brilliant. I love it. Yeah. Um, would you mind? Yeah, and then, but oh, you, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You, you're going to finish that thought. I was actually going to move on to another what? question. Oh, I was just going to say briefly, I mean, one, one of the, um, one, in terms of like big failures, there's, there's always big failures. The, the job that I tried to get right before I came to Disney, um, I was asked, typically you do as a writer, um, hey, we have this idea, develop this idea, it's, it's a sure thing. Mm. And I said, okay, well, I'm taking a risk if I'm going to basically work for free for three months to try to get an idea um, figured out and to start writing things, I'm taking a big chance that this is going to pan out. And I was told it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Um, ultimately, I brought it in and um, there was a regime change at the studio I was trying to work with. And they said, no, we don't, we don't want this at all. This is not, this is not for us. And so I really gambled a lot on this on this idea panning out, and this was going to be my next job, and it didn't work out. Oh, no. And it was crushing, and I felt like, okay, well, what did I do wrong? Yeah. And at the time, I thought, like, this is this is I did a great job. I can't be that. It's this regime change that happened. But in retrospect, first off, um, it wasn't that great. I could have done a better job. And looking at, it, I go, well, I didn't go as deep as I as I wanted to. And and what I said earlier, when I said. I was really trying to tailor it to what I thought other people wanted as opposed to what, what really made me excited. And I realized that it was not as authentic as I needed to be. But then also serendipity, had I gotten that job, I never would have gotten the job at Disney because I would have been busy. I would have never gone after that opportunity. Um, And this turned out to be a great place for me. So I'd say be realistic with, with what you're good at and what you're not good at. And also know that, that so many times that 
part of the reason you fail is to learn from it and then find new opportunities that you wouldn't have had had you not failed in the first place. So relationships, it sounds like, have been incredibly important in your journey. When you first were starting out, you were sort of asking for help and mentor me, teach me, and people are surprisingly willing to do that when we do ask, which is really great. What was your sort of secret to really winning them over and creating really great relationships and sort of proving yourself there? Um, uh, wow. Uh, well, it's interesting. It, um, I, when I first got here, I think the first week I was here, I immediately recognized what a special place this is. Um, and it was immediate. Like I said, I, I felt like these were my people. I felt like, um, what I said earlier, where the, the giant scope of, uh, features mixed with this amazing collaboration, this is something, this is exactly the environment that I've, that I didn't realize I've been looking for for my entire career. Um, and so, you know, I think that more than anything that you can do, uh, certainly out here in Hollywood is, is lead with passion. And that was, I, I let people know how excited I was and, 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 and how special I thought, um, working here was. And yeah. I put that into the work that I was doing, meaning, um, I put everything I could, uh, into, into trying to, to be a better writer to when we got to the research phase to really think through it, to, to, I think, improve my skills, both as a writer, both as a filmmaker. Um, and then, uh, we have an opportunity here to, to help out on other projects, other movies and to, to give feedback. And I learned very early, um, that the best way to, to meet people here and the best way for people to say like, Oh, well maybe Jared should stick around is I honestly just worked really hard to, to show other people that passion and to support every movie here as best I could. Um, and not, not, not worry about my movie, if that makes sense. This is a place where a lot of altruistic people and everyone is trying to support each other and coming from outside Disney, it's hard to put yourself in that mindset and to trust that. But, that was kind of the only way it was a, a leap of faith that, okay, well, if we are all working here together then I need to be in that mindset and to actually do it, not just say it. And, um, I think that, that making the leap from, from one thing to the next, from going from contract to being full time here was, um, I, I, people saw how much I genuinely appreciated it. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, uh, being able to, to get advice from other people, being open to hearing that advice and yeah. being open to hearing how you can, um, how you can improve yourself is Absolutely. really important to, to be open to hearing what, bl- what your blind spots are. It's really hard yeah. oh, it Certainly is. for creative people. It's really hard to say like, <laughs> well, I, but this is who I am and, and uh, take it or leave it. It's really hard to, you can intellectually say that, yeah, I can do that. But emotionally that's harder um, for me. I know that um, I, I tend to to veer on the side, to err on the side of comedy. Coming from from uh, sitcoms like jokes, that's that's my bread and butter is telling jokes. So I had to look at my writing differently and say, okay, there's there's a place for those jokes. There's also a place for sincerity, and it's okay to be sincere and to not undercut it with humor immediately. Hmm. I realized why did I do that is because I was 
early on uncomfortable revealing all of that about myself yeah. or to say, uh, certainly working in a sitcom environment, if you, if you get too sincere or earnest, um, that can be seen as a negative or as revealing of, of who you really are. So yeah. learning to, to trust everyone around me that, okay, well, I haven't shown people this. I'm going to trust that if I do that, that I don't know if it's going to be in the movie or not, but that <laughs> yes. it will, it might, it might inform a character. It might inform a moment or it might, it might allow me to, to work on that part of something that I'm capable of, but I just haven't exercised. Hmm. That's really solid advice. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so as far as the work-life balance goes, you obviously have a family with three young children. Um, and I know it's probably really difficult in the world you're in to certainly have a really, really bulletproof work-life balance. As you mentioned with Zootopia, there were often a lot of weekends worked. But of course, we also know that with the creative process, you have to have full life experience to really draw from. How have you learned to try to approach the work-life balance or um, kind of what's your, I guess, secret, for lack of a better term, um, or just overall philosophy on that? Uh, to be perfectly honest, it's something I'm still working on. I sure. don't think that I'm particularly good at it. Um, gotcha. I think that um, moving from Zootopia to Moana um, and having... Going from very young kids, toddlers, to children who ask me where I'm going and why I'm not around, yeah. that's now you're talking to humans that can <laughs> yes. call you on it uh, <laughs> as an eye-opener. Um, I think that one of the, the big switches I made between Zootopia and Moana was um, making sure that, uh, for my kids specifically, um, I would I would drive them to school every morning so that we could hang out. I would make sure that mm. at the end of the day, uh, whenever possible, that I would be home before they went to sleep. And if I had more work to do, I'd wait until they were asleep. And I actually didn't wait until my wife was asleep. <laughs> and then I'd sneak downstairs and work for a couple hours. And if that meant starting to work at 11 at night until 2, that's what I did. Mm. Because I realized, I, well, sure, I could stay at work uh, from 7 to 10, but then everyone's asleep. I don't get to see them. Yeah. And by the time I get home, my wife has also had to, you know, full, three boys um, oh at goodness. bedtime is a, is an ordeal. Yes. And so um, to, to make sure that, that I was prioritizing my life correctly was really important. And I, and I mm -hmm. definitely made a, a pretty big switch uh, between, between Zootopia and wanted to do that. Now that said, um, right now on working on the new project, um, uh, we are in a research development mode where mm. it's not production. It's sure. not as grueling. And so I am, I am taking every second that I have um, and maximizing all the time that I have with my family mm. to make sure that um, we're spending a lot of time together, knowing yeah. that in uh, however, however long till yeah. we're back in production, <laughs> that things are going to get hairy again. But yes. um do you notice uh, it? I'm sorry, bad. I didn't mean to cut you out there. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, do you no, notice a difference um, when you are when you do have a better work life balance? Do you notice that the create creative ideas kind of flow a little easier and you get more inspiration just from living life, or does it feel pretty evenly keeled there? Uh, for me, it feels pretty even. What 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 I don't have is the stress of feeling like oh, yeah. a bad parent or Absolutely. a bad spouse. Which that alone that, is worth it. <laughs> that can be, yeah, that can be also be creatively paralyzing. Um, 
Totally. Uh, so I, the other thing I'd, I'd say is that right now uh, my boys are 10 and the twins are seven. Um, I, I also have been spending, like we spend time as a family, but I've also been trying to spend a lot of time with each of them individually yeah. so that um, I, I, it's, I, I'm continuously surprised by their points of view or what they're excited by. And uh, I mean, even with my twins, they're very different their people and thinking about mm. the psychology of people, why you think the way you do that. Some of those things are, are baked in to people very early on. And so sure. um, and to me, that's, that's fascinating. Trying to, trying to not think about work to be very present um, yeah. in uh, with my family is also very important because I think for many creative people, it's very difficult. My, my wife knows when I'm thinking about, <laughs> Some story thing because she's like you, you're like you glaze over, and I know I do because also my brain will be on something, and then you're like, what, what, what is that? Or you're not really a hundred percent there, engaged. and that's a really hard. That's something that's a, a tough switch to to throw, um, and I think it comes with practice. Um, and uh, yeah, right now I'm I'm trying to do a better job. I think I'm I'm doing a better job that's on awesome. that than I was four years ago. Still have a, a, a long way to go. That's what matters, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and one final, I guess, uh, long-form question would be, um, if you were to advise perhaps uh, young graduates, maybe they're heading into the world of writing and storytelling, and they're getting ready to sort of head out into the real world um, and start their careers, what things might you share with them in terms of preparing them to set themselves up for success um, and maybe pitfalls to avoid though I think it's good to you know discover your own weaknesses and fail along the way but what might you advise them um for writing specifically writing is all about iteration at least it is for me I I write and I rewrite Mm -hmm. and I rewrite and I rewrite and so part of my process is writing as fast as I possibly can Mm -hmm. in the early stages um I, I find I like I like a blank page and starting from scratch. That's that's a fun time because anything's possible. Um, but um, as as a as a quasi perfectionist, um, the first <laughs> thing you put on a page is terrifying because it's yes. terrible and garbage. And guess what? It's supposed to be terrible and garbage. So embracing the fact yeah. that it's going to be terrible and garbage is great. And so uh, for me personally. Knowing that, I, I try to be uh, uh, as, as least precious as possible. So mm. if I write a first, the first draft of a script that I write, I'll try to write the entire script in a week. When that, wow. What that means is that it's going to be horrific. I, I don't <laughs> but say, at least I don't it exists. Say, hey, I'm a fast writer. I said that to say uh, to, to do something that quickly means it's going to be yeah. terrible. Yeah. But, because, and that's fine, but what, what, I, what that tells me when I do that is I know are the the big beats of the story do they feel right or or is the pacing completely wrong or these two characters don't really work together it, even if you write that quickly you know some of those big problems that yeah. when you're in an outline phase or a pitch phase sometimes sure. those don't pop up and so I try to do that as fast as possible knowing guess what now I get to go and rewrite so I love rewriting and I will rewrite things to death I I go back constantly that's my, my, my happy place. Um, so I say that getting started and just getting a full thought out is, is vital. I know so many people that 
will write half a script or will fin- will stop it at uh, at the end of a first act because it's not working. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to get through the whole thing, and then you have can kind of look at it as a whole, and, and then you'll know, you know, okay, well, this is. I realized, like, I could I could sit and I could polish a first act forever, make it amazing. Mm-hmm. But what I might discover if I write the entire script is. I have the wrong first act completely, and I've I've polished something that's great, but it's not the movie that I want to make. Sure. So, I, but I need that that global perspective. So I'd say do that. That is really important to just get through it. Um, write writing quickly and knowing that it's going to be bad is good. Being hmm. not being precious is good. Um, I think that um, when I moved out to Los Angeles, I had no idea uh, how how difficult it would be to, you know, quote, break in. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I had no idea. I had no idea what that world was. My my very first job um, was, like I told you, the talent agency. Talent agency was Endeavor, and they just started. And at the time, they were that they were it, right? It's Endeavor. And I wow. remember going to that meeting, and they said, uh, so obviously you've heard about Endeavor. And I said, no, I, I don't <laughs> even know what this place does. Like, I've never heard of it. <laughs> and, and they were like, you're hired. I think they liked it because I... Like I just, I just was excited. I was interested, and they were like, "Who is this idiot?" Um, but I, I find that like you can, you can overanalyze and you can overthink. Um, at the end of the day, um, I think that um, that creative people um, find a way to get that creativity out. So get yeah. that creativity out. Don't stop. Um, I think that be authentic. Be who you are. Put yourself on the page. Because yeah. speaking as someone who read hundreds and hundreds yes. of scripts, um, you know when some someone's not being themselves, or when it feels like a facsimile of a facsimile. Definitely. And so, there, Hollywood is dying for great movies. Hollywood is dying for great stories. Mm. They're dying for great characters. And so, those things come from people from their experiences um, and people putting themselves out there and and being vulnerable. Sure. And that's critical. Um, so write, write what you care about. Write what you love. Don't write what you think someone else is going to like. Write from your heart. And people reading those scripts will feel that. And mm. you know what? Maybe, maybe they won't buy your script, but maybe they will say, I really like this writing, and I have this other project, and this person would be perfect for it. So mm. it's not always about getting something sold. It's, it's about people seeing who you are sure. and um, and I, to me I've tried to do that with my career is really tell people who I am through my writing that's amazing thank you for sharing that um, for folks who have listened and have so appreciated what you have to share and your life experience and they want to kind of keep up on what you're doing um, I know they can find <laughs> you on Twitter and I'll, I'll put your yeah. a link to that in the show notes but is there anywhere else you'd like to plug as far as people keeping up on what your life is like and what you're up to that that is that is my conduit. So let's say Twitter Twitter is the spot. I, I've tried some of the other things. Um, I for the life of me can't figure out Snapchat. I've tried. <laughs> I've I've gone online, done tutorials, can't do it. So Twitter, works. Uh, Twitter I understand, <laughs> and it makes me it keeps me contained. I only have so many characters, which actually to me that's a perfect like example of the rewrite process. Yes. Get your get your ideas out there in short format. So that's where to find it. That's awesome. Thank you, Jared. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much.